Pfizer First Connect. This call may be monitored for quality assurance. The Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine has not been approved or licensed by the U.S. FDA, but has been authorized for emergency use to prevent COVID-19 in individuals 16 and older. So the vaccine is not technically licensed as the clinical trials will not be completed until 2023. Yet the vaccine promotion campaign is rampant everywhere. My name is Michael Kane. I've just had a vaccine for COVID. All right, I just got my vaccine and I will recommend it to anyone and everyone. Come with me if you want to live. The government, corporations and celebrities are on an orchestrated campaign to sell us the vaccine. But on what basis are they promoting it? In this film, we will look at how the COVID-19 vaccine managed to make it into people's bodies in such a record time. How trials work. And should we just take the vaccine manufacturer's word for its safety and efficacy? Before we start talking about the vaccine trials, let's remember why we were told that we need a vaccine in the first place. The main argument is that we need to stop COVID-19 from spreading, to reduce the number of severe cases which leads to hospitalizations, in order to protect the healthcare system from overflowing. This means the main focus of the vaccine trial should be on interrupting transmission and reducing the severity of illness. gold standard for getting approvals for medical, new medical products or devices is double-blind, placebo-controlled trials. Let's start with explaining how phase three trials work. Once volunteers enrolled into a trial, some of the volunteers will get an injection containing the vaccine candidate and others will get an injection of an inert placebo. Neither the person giving the injection nor the person getting the shot knows which is being administered. This is so neither party has a predetermined idea of what the outcome may be. Studies like this are called double-blind, placebo-controlled trials. COVID-19 vaccine trials were considered event-driven trials. An event-driven trial means that the primary analysis of the trial happens when you get enough events. By events, it means confirmed cases of the COVID-19 disease. To determine whether the vaccine is working, researchers compared the number of infections in the people receiving the active vaccine with the number of infections in the people receiving the placebo. Now you may think to conclude the study and confirm the efficacy, they would study thousands of events and cases but the number was 170 events only. Once they reach 170 cases of infection, they were able to conclude that the vaccine has 95% efficacy and submitted for emergency use authorization. Now the vaccine is being given to tens of millions of people based on 170 events. I think both uh, Pfizer and Moderna trials were 
were not designed to give us accurate assessment, a risk assessment. In other words, is the vaccine going to avert more problems than it's going to cause? I think they were designed to succeed. They were designed to, um, to gloss over problems, injuries, side effects, and, uh, and get to market as quickly as possible. The second issue is whether the right endpoints were studied. None of the vaccine trials were designed to detect a reduction in hospital admissions, admission to intensive care, or death. The second surprise for these protocols is how mild the requirements for contracted COVID-19 symptoms are to be considered as an event in the trials. A careful reading of the protocol reveals that the minimum qualification for a case of COVID-19 is a positive PCR test and one or two mild symptoms. These include a headache, fever, cough or mild nausea. This is far from adequate and these trials certainly do not give assurance that the vaccine will protect from any serious illness. These studies seem to be designed to succeed and to answer the easiest question in the least amount of time, not the most clinically relevant questions. Severe illness requiring hospital admission, which happens in only a small fraction of symptomatic COVID-19 cases, would be unlikely to occur in significant numbers in trials. Data published by the US Centers for Disease Control and Prevention reported a symptomatic case hospitalization ratio of 3.4% overall, varying from 1.7% in 0 to 49 year olds and 4.5% in 50 to 64 year olds to 7.4% in those 65 years of age and over. Because most people with symptomatic COVID experience only mild symptoms, even trials involving 30,000 or more patients would turn up relatively few cases of severe disease. These trials are practically testing to prevent common cold symptoms. third issue is the PCR tests, which was the method these events and cases were identified by in the trials. Connecticut pathologist Dr. Sin Lee has petitioned the US Food and Drug Administration to require accurate counts of COVID-19 cases in the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 mRNA vaccine trial. The major reason for petitioning the FDA is that the Phase 2 Stroke 3 clinical trial of the Pfizer vaccine used a presumptive PT-PCR diagnostic test. This test is acknowledged by the medical science community to generate high rates of false positive results among qualified trial participants from the placebo group with minor symptoms such as a sore throat, according to the petition. This was later confirmed by the WHO when they announced the need for the reduction of cycles in the PCR tests due to the large number of false positives. To sum up, these trials were not designed to deal with severe illness. They used the absolute minimum number of cases, which is 170, to justify declaring efficacy 
and base those cases on reliable PCR tests. The trials also failed to tackle the most important issue, which is interrupting virus transmission. The big problems that the vaccines have in justifying themselves to people, if you really think about it, is that at this point, there's no evidence that they prevent transmissibility. All that, and we have not talked about the safety aspect yet. To discuss the issue of the negative side effects of the COVID mRNA vaccine, we were contacted back in November 2020 by a whistleblower who was a participant in one of the major trials. They wanted to speak out against what they experienced about medical negligence and foul play. We were working with the whistleblower for three months on this film to show the full story with plenty of solid, hard evidence. However, days before the release of this film, the whistleblower asked us not to go ahead with their story due to the increasing amount of threats against them. All we can tell you that the case in point was part of phase three studies in one of the major vaccine manufacturers trials for the COVID-19 vaccine. They had experienced serious side effects following taking the second dose of the vaccine, which rendered them sick in the intensive care unit. Instead of being investigated and studied, they were ignored and discouraged from investigating despite their continued illness. That's only the beginning of the story. It gets much deeper and darker, but unfortunately, we cannot share it. This is to protect the safety of the whistleblower and everyone involved in this film. We also do not have the legal backing to start a fight with a pharmaceutical giant. This is a real-life example of how real investigative journalism is dying under the pressure of corporations, governments and mainstream media. The current systems are built to discourage the truth from coming out against the elite and their interests and rewards the opposite. To help solve this issue, we are working on a new investigative journalism platform. Please go to our website for details. Back to the issue of COVID-19 vaccine side effects, since we cannot share our whistleblower's findings, let's have a look at the reported side effects since release and the mechanism used to keep track of these adverse effects. About 48 million in the US had received one or both doses of a COVID vaccine. So far, only the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines have been granted emergency use authorization in the US by the FDA and by their own definition. The vaccines are still considered experimental until fully licensed. As of February 24th, 929 deaths, a subset of 16,297 total adverse events had been reported to the Centers for Disease Control, CDC, Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, VAERS or VERS, following COVID-19 vaccinations. The numbers reflect reports filed between December 14th, 2020 and February 24th, 2021. We're seeing vaccines that are not you know, tested to the extent that we would expect of any other medication. 
and the people who are getting injured are, you know, are being written off as collateral damage. The people who have, who have allergies, the people who have genetic vulnerabilities, um, those people are just collateral damage in our war against COVID. And uh, there's something wrong with that. VERS is the primary mechanism for reporting adverse vaccine reactions in the US. Similar to the MHRA, Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency in the UK, reports submitted to VERS require further investigation before confirmation can be made that the reported adverse event was caused by the vaccine. The average age of those who died was 77. The youngest reported death was of a 23-year-old. The Pfizer vaccine was taken by 58% of those who died, while the Moderna vaccine was taken by 41%. There had also been 163 cases of Bell's palsy reported and 775 reports of anaphylaxis. Uh, people in the UK who received the Pfizer vaccine yesterday, these were two healthcare workers, nurses I believe, who had significant allergic reactions in response to the vaccine, pretty clearly within moments of having received the vaccine. Um, how, how concerning is this? There are people who have what's called allergic diatheses or a tendency to get allergic reactions. I believe that both of those individuals did in fact have that tendency. Uh, what we need to do looking forward, and these are the kind of things that happen when you implement large vaccine programs. Once you start implementing the actual utilization of the vaccine in a clinical setting, you're talking about millions of uh, individuals getting uh, vaccinated. So you may start seeing effects in some that might not have been picked up when you were dealing with thousands. According to the New York Times, several doctors now link the Pfizer and Moderna COVID vaccines to immune thrombostamina, ITP, a condition that develops when the immune system attacks platelets, blood components essential for clotting, or the cells that create them. Those trials should be large enough to detect rare injuries and, and long enough to detect injuries with long diagnostic horizons or long incubation periods. Many of the injuries that are associated with vaccination are autoimmune injuries, and you don't see those sometimes for months or for many years. And a placebo-controlled trial that only lasts for eight weeks is not gonna detect most of those injuries, and yet, even those short-term trials, we saw, you know, that these vaccines are very, very reactogenic. Seen significant adverse events and death associated with the mRNA, and this was is much larger than would be expected. And in Norway, uh, 23 people over 80 had died in the initial weeks following the rollout of one of another mRNA vaccine. And in Norway, they gave guidance that the mRNA injection should not be given to the over 80s. So I think what we see is that the harm, particularly in the elderly of these mRNA vaccines, there's more harm than good. Last month, Dr. Gregory Michaels died from ITP two weeks after he got the Pfizer vaccine. 
the deaths weren't only in the UK. There has been many reported deaths following COVID vaccinations from around the world. An eyewitness whistleblower reports from a Berlin nursing home. Whistleblower from a nursing home in Germany reported some atrocities that were occurring in that nursing home in conjunction with the administration of vaccines. We later were approached by whistleblowers who gave us copies of a film that confirmed the dialogue and the report that we heard in that committee meeting. Within four weeks after the first vaccination with the BioNTech and Pfizer vaccine, eight of 31 residents died, despite them being in good physical condition according to their age before the vaccination. The first death occurred only six days and five other seniors died approximately 14 days after vaccination. These vaccines could be killing many people and we won't know that because of the inadequate injury surveillance systems we have in place. When I did my first interviews in May 2020, I was saying in addition uh, to the adverse events that can happen immediately after the vaccination, that with the mRNA from the publications, particularly the Chen paper from 2012 that I discussed in May 2020, um, that if you have mRNA, it tends to set up an autoimmune response in people that have the injection. But when they come across whatever the agent is that's injected, we'll say in the next flu season, so it could be you know in March, April 2021, or it could be in the flu season of, we'll say 21, 22 next year, that when they come across the nat natural virus um, or the natural infectious agent, that they can have significant adverse events. The immune system essentially turns on your own body. It's an immune reaction to your organ um, and that patients can actually die or people that have been ejected months or years later. And this, process is called antibody dependent enhancement. So essentially the injection of mRNA enhances the disease and causes more harm than good. As health officials strive to brush off as coincidences the mounting number of deaths and other serious adverse reactions occurring worldwide in connection with experimental mRNA COVID-19 vaccines, the need for independent scrutiny of vaccine safety data has never been more apparent. A new peer-reviewed study about adverse events following immunization and the measles, mumps, rubella, varicella, MMRV vaccine brings home the urgent need for independent research. The study, published on an open access platform, suggests that most existing safety monitoring systems are utterly inadequate to document the real incidence of serious AEFIs and that current methods of assessing vaccine-related casualties may be questioned. According to a US Department of Health and Human Services study, the actual number of adverse events is likely significantly higher. Is a passive surveillance system that relies on the willingness of individuals to submit reports voluntarily. 
Historically, fewer than 1% of adverse events have ever been reported to VERS as nothing more than window dressing and a part of US authorities' systematic effort to reassure stroke deceive us about vaccine safety. I don't think we can trust vaccine companies. I think anybody who trusts the vaccine companies is not looking at the history or the corrupt institutional cultures that are pervasive in all of these companies. The four companies that make all of America's mandated vaccines, Sanofi, Merck, Axo, and Pfizer, are all convicted serial felons. These are criminal enterprises. Those four companies, since 2009, in other words, over the last decade, have spent almost $35 billion in criminal penalties and damages for defrauding regulators, for falsifying science, for lying to doctors, um, and for killing hundreds of thousands of Americans with products they knew were lethal. The questions around the trials continue one of which is the issue of opening double blinds. Trial participants were sent a letter one week after its vaccine was authorized. It told that, on request, they could learn whether they were in the placebo arm so they could receive the vaccine as it became available and according to recommendations of the CDC. The companies say they have an ethical obligation to unblind volunteers so they can receive the vaccine but some experts are concerned about a disastrous loss of critical information if volunteers on a trial's placebo arm are unblinded and vaccinated. This means the loss of future reliable data, which is especially concerning given that preliminary data is insufficient to determine efficacy. Although the FDA has granted the vaccine's emergency use authorization to get the full license approved, two years of follow-up data is needed. The data is now likely to be less reliable given that the trials are effectively being unblinded. The vaccine for COVID-19 is now available and the evidence shows it works. So I'm rolling up my sleeve. Hysteria for the mass promotion for the COVID-19 vaccine is not responsible behaviour by corporations or governments. We've seen that there's been significant promotion in countries around the world and all over the world as if the only real intervention that will help for uh, influenza-like symptoms and COVID-19 is a vaccination when many people have come out since uh, even January 2020 uh, to say that the real way of actually preventing influenza-like illness and treating it is um, vitamins D, C and zinc. And also there are um, over 20 different um, approved treatments, including hydroxychloroquine and zinc and ivermectin. The pharmaceutical industry is hastily creating vaccines using taxpayers' money and untested technologies with no long-term safety testing. Let's remember that in the US and the UK, vaccine manufacturers enjoy public indemnity against vaccine injuries. Under the Vaccine Act that was passed in 1986 in our country, there, the vaccine makers for mandated vaccines have no liability for injuring people. So you cannot sue them for vaccine injury. And the new COVID vaccines, 
have an even greater level of protection as, you know, pandemic countermeasures under the PREP Act, under the CARES Act. They are completely immune from, they have blanket immunity from liability. You can't sue them. In simple terms, if the vaccine causes injury or death, the manufacturer cannot be sued. The government's argument is this, and I quote, if manufacturers are asked to supply an unlicensed medicine in response to a public health threat, it is unfair to ask them to take responsibility for the consequences of the use of that medicine. So they can never get caught, no matter how negligent they are, no matter how many people they mangle, they injure, they kill, no matter how toxic the ingredients no matter how grievous your injury, you cannot sue that company. There's no discovery, there's no depositions, there's no incentive for them to make a safe product. Emergency use authorization is a mass population scientific experiment. If it has any prayer of working, it will require extraordinary scrutiny from the press and the public. That right has been taken away from the people. In order to continue the vaccine promotion campaign, they had to use censorship to silence any opposition. Government, big tech, the pharmaceutical industry and its captive regulators use the term vaccine misinformation as a euphemism for any factual assertion that departs from official pronouncements about vaccine health and safety, whether true or not. This kind of censorship is counterproductive if their objective is a safe and effective vaccine. Social media giants are imposing a totalitarian censorship to prevent public health advocates from voicing concerns and engaging in civil informed debate in the public square. This film will probably be heavily censored so if you manage to see it, please share widely. People need to know all the information regarding the vaccine trials to make their opinion before rushing to take the vaccine. Censorship is the beginning of tyranny. You know, if the, whether it's George Orwell or Franz Kafka or Aldous Huxley or Edwin R. Murrow, all the people who instructed us on how a democracy devolves from democracy to tyranny, have all said the first thing that happens is the censorship. They are punishing, shaming, vilifying and abolishing individuals who dare to ask any questions or even sharing their negative experiences. Censorship does not change minds, never has. Instead, the doubts are often redoubled. Once you start censoring and fining and arresting, people start to question your intentions. When science itself is politicized, it is hardly surprising that people have concerns about a new vaccine. We have been made suspicious and yet, dissent is forbidden. So far, they addressed any vaccine opposition by censoring it. Achieve maximum reach by mass advertising. The more people in society that get vaccinated, the more chance there is of eradicating the national COVID pandemic. And the final step is imposing restrictions on those who do not wish to take it, 
whatever their reasons may be, and incentivising those who do take it. The Prime Minister has confirmed that the UK government will consider the case for the introduction of so-called vaccine passports. Uh, the document could take the form of a vaccine certificate or proof of COVID status, and the NHS mobile app could be modified to carry that information. It will start with businesses, airlines, sporting events and concerts. The protection and safety of their staff and also protection and safety of their customers. So I feel it's a no-brainer, basically. What about people who decide that they either can't have one for medical reasons or they don't want to have one? It's not compulsory in this country. Is that unfair on them? The ones that don't want to have it, that's not unfair. That's their decision, that's their choice. But I think it's going to mean that they won't get a job they won't be able to go to pubs, restaurants, theatres, um, or even travel, so that's their choice. Once the public gets used to the idea, it will become a requirement to gain entry visas to travel, or even apply for a passport. And with this, creating more division in society. This pandemic transforming the travel experience, similar to what 9-11 did with security, health passports, proof of vaccination going forward is something that we really believe will be with us for some time. So there's absolutely no requirement to uh, say that you need to have a record of any kind of um, injection for COVID-19 disease because essentially everybody in the world has developed uh, an immune protection against coronaviruses because four years out of ten uh, we come across corona viruses and most people in the world are essentially naturally immune. Whatever your views on vaccines are, you must find that coordinated obsession with vaccines by government, big tech corporations and big pharmaceutical companies a little suspicious. Covid-19 is nowhere near the list of top killers to be warranted such a disproportionate response. If all of these efforts were purely for the good of humanity, why are private pharmaceutical companies allowed to profit from it? Unfortunately, the government agencies that regulate vaccine safety are all what we call captured agencies. They're agencies that have become essentially, through a number of well-documented mechanisms, arms of the pharmaceutical industry. So all regulatory agencies end up getting captured by industries that they regulate to some extent or not, that they become essentially sock puppets for the regulated industry. Uh, but vaccines and pharmaceutical companies, there's an extra ingredient there, which is the agencies themselves are helping to develop the vaccines. We'll develop new vaccines quickly, in large part due to this new mRNA platform. mRNA will become faster to develop, easier to store, and lower cost. That's a huge breakthrough. In the 40 years or so of the research in this area, there was zero mRNA injections or vaccines licensed for use in the world. And this was because even though they had initial trials, that the adverse events and deaths associated with these uh, mRNA injections or vaccines was so severe and caused so much harm that they were had previously not been licensed for use. mRNA vaccines have never been tested on humans before, 
and with a high survival rate of COVID-19 and the low rate of severe illness, it seems illogical to want to risk taking new untested technology that was rushed through questionable trials. If this vaccine has not been proven to reduce severe illness or stop transmission of the virus, then can we even still call it a vaccine? <laughs>